In all of scripture, in the whole Bible, the passage we have today is my favorite. I don't know if pastors are supposed to have a favorite, but this is my favorite. And it has been this way from before I ever received God's call to the ministry. You've asked sometimes about my prayers, and what I say or how I say them. This scripture is the foundation for that. This shares and shapes and motivates my prayer life. When I put this scripture into practice, I pray big prayers, creative prayers, personal prayers. I pray other people's prayers. I just pray more prayers. And for today, I've asked God for you to personally know, like, like in your deep gut level, know his indescribable love so that you might live completely filled up with the characteristics of God, with the fruit of the spirit. I ask that you'll have faith, that you'll have the spiritual maturity to pray bigger and bolder prayers, that you'll pray to the God who can do absolutely anything, certainly more than our human minds can fathom. And you will believe it. That you will know the Holy Spirit power that is at work in you, in the church, and in Christ Jesus. And that God will be glorified through it all. And I know my prayer request is a tall order. And I know, without a doubt, that he will do it. So I wanna ask you, what do you pray? What do you pray? Do you pray for health issues? Do you pray for finances? Maybe for broken relationships, safe travel? Uh, maybe you pray for your children, for your grandchildren. Do you pray for God's plans? For his priorities? For his perfect timing? What do you pray? And I ask you to examine your prayer life because one of the best ways to acknowledge your anxieties, your ambitions, is to study the content of your prayers and the intensity with which you pray them. Examine your prayers to learn what concerns you. What is your heart's desire? Conversely, by what you exclude from your prayers, you discover what does not concern you or maybe what you didn't think about praying. You also learn about the one to whom you are praying, your concept of him, your concept of prayer. And likewise, if you are not praying to God, examine the reasons. Are you just out of the habit? Are you angry with him? Do you doubt that he'll do anything? Do you just, maybe you just don't know what to say. So in terms of our spiritual formation, what is prayer? Prayer is spiritual communication between us and God. 
It is a two-way relationship where we talk to God and we listen to him. It's a conversation, it's, it's dialogue. And it's natural to ask God for what we need, just like a child asks a parent. And there are many Bible verses encouraging us to pray. And just like Beth mentioned in Matthew chapter six, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches us how to pray in the Lord's Prayer. In John 17, Jesus prays for his disciples and for us, for unity. It's probably the most remarkable prayer that we have recorded in the Bible. And from cover to cover, the Bible states that we are to pray for our enemies. And repeatedly, the Psalms proclaim that God hears our voices and that he answers us. Prayer brings together love and power. Love and power. The relation of love that grows up between God and each one of us. The flow of power that extends from God to each one of us through the Holy Spirit. This love and power are yours. They come the moment when you confess with your lips that Jesus Christ is your Lord and your Savior. You become a part of God's family. And as a child of God, you have the great privilege of talking to him in prayer at any time about anything. This is a very personal relationship and it lasts for all eternity. Paul is intimately aware of this relationship through his many experiences with God and he pours out his soul to God here in Ephesians 3 and we benefit. We get to peer into his words. In the same dialogue, we get to hear humble intimacy and frank boldness in his conversation with God. What a treat for us. What a model Paul serves for us in Ephesians 3. And my hope for you is that from this perspective, you'll see the potential for your dialogue with God to be new and different. So let's begin. Just as we have done across this summer, we're spending at Ephesus. Let's put ourselves in the place of this church with the Ephesians. At this particular time, Paul is imprisoned in Rome. So imagine the excitement of receiving a letter from him to know that he's alive, to hear his words encouraging unity in the faith. Today, I'm reading our passage. It's Ephesians 3, verses 14 to 21. I'm reading it from the New International Version. That is our Pew Bibles, our translation that we have there. And then I'm gonna share with you from various other translations throughout the sermon. Now, Chad and Mark and Roland and I are preaching in this way throughout Ephesians so that you have a well-rounded experience soaking in the real meaning from the first century culture, from the original Greek text, the language of the New Testament. So listen, just listen this first time as I read it aloud. Envision that you're standing in a church and it's probably a house church. 
So you're standing in a church, you are surrounded by other Christians, Jewish Christians, Gentile Christians, all united in the faith. Let's walk in their sandals. Let's live in their community. Let's hear what they heard when Paul's letter was read aloud. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So in this text, Paul mentions love and power most often in this prayer. And we're going to see why. First, observe Paul's prayer posture and his approach. To do that, check out verses 14 and 15. This time I'll read to you from the New American Standard Bible. The NASB has, has recently, like, like very recently, 2020 um, improved on the accuracy of the translation and the readability for us. So here you go, 14 and 15. For this reason, I bend my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Well, let's start with that first part, for this reason. Now, if you heard last week's sermon, chapter three, verse one, it said almost the exact same thing before tangents happened for Paul. <laughs> and he goes off on the work that we have to share the gospel with everyone, everywhere. So now we have for this reason, again, and it refers back to chapter two. It refers to the power of the gospel to unite us to unite the Jews and the Gentiles, hearing this letter read aloud in the first century church, to unite those unhealthy situations we have today of us versus them. The power that the good news still has over Satan, that the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus the Christ defeated death. The life-raising power of the Holy Spirit, where that death, having been defeated, now our eternal future is secured. So what can we learn from Paul's posture of prayer? When it says here, I bend my knees, I bend my knees. In your mind's eye, 
envision Paul, like see him in a Roman prison fall to his knees in prayer. For us in 2022, that is not such a big deal. We can have all sorts of postures for prayer, can't we? We can sit, kneel, put your face in the floor. You can bow your head or maybe close your eyes, open your hands, on and on. We have so many ways that we can have a position of prayer. In the context of the biblical culture, standing was the posture of prayer. Standing before the Lord. This is what the Jewish people did from before the time that Jesus was ever born. This was the most essential physical position for prayer. So the fact that Paul falls to his knees in verse 14 is remarkable to the early church. It indicates for them his humility and the earnestness of his prayers. For us today, intentionally choose your posture of prayer. Intentionally choose the next time you petition God, the next time you confess, when you intercede on someone else's behalf or when you give thanks to God, choose your posture of prayer. And to whom does Paul address this prayer? He approaches the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Oh, my friend Paul, he is playing with the Greek words here. So in the Greek, father is pater and family is patria. Father, family, pater, patria. He's just dancing with the words here. And the people who hear this letter, they know that God is the author. He is the father of every family of faith. Their church, a family of faith. God, the father. That we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. Recall that the gospel declares that believers belong in the same relationship with God that Jesus has as the son. And as I preached last week, we are co-heirs together with Christ. This is a radical privilege that we are adopted into the relationship that Jesus has with the Father. So when you are praying to your heavenly Father, approaching him in prayer, remember that this loving, intimate relationship is yours by family. Paul's prayer makes three petitions. I swear he was a good Presbyterian. He has three petitions here. I wanna see if you pick up on them as I read. Listen to verses 16 and 17. This comes to us this time from the New Revised Standard Version. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. So did you pick up on the three? First, Paul prays in verse 16 that God, through the riches of his glory, that's his grace, 
He prays that God, through his grace, grants that we are strengthened with power through his spirit in our inner being. That verb strengthened, it translates to be fortified, to be invigorated. So Paul prays, Father, fortify your people, invigorate your people with power. Power through the Holy Spirit. We get to see the Holy Spirit come on in Acts chapter two at the Pentecost event. We see the Holy Spirit's actions throughout the rest of the New Testament and in ourselves today. We are blessed to see the Holy Spirit be the divine dynamic of new life in Christ. And the Holy Spirit's sphere of work is the inner being that's mentioned here. The like inner person, like the deepest recesses of our being. Some translations might say our higher nature, conscience, or human will. Sometimes it just takes a lot of English words to say what the Greek means. So think about it this way. The Holy Spirit hovers over our lives, bringing resurrection life to our inner persons. That's our spiritual body. Even as our outer person, our physical body, ages and over time decays. So today, today through the Holy Spirit, the power of the living God, I want you to know that power is present with you, for you, and in you. Paul's second petition comes to us in verse 17. He asks that Christ dwells in our hearts through faith. This complete indwelling occurs through our Christian experience we know from the first chapter of John that Christ came to dwell among us. And then we know from several of Paul's writings that Christ lives in us now. But what Paul's praying for here is something even greater. That by our faith, we will allow the living Christ to take up permanent residency in our hearts, not just a guest visiting whenever we need Jesus, but Jesus to be master of all in our lives, rather than thinking that somehow we master it, that we are in control. Understanding that at its core, that comes by personal experiences of faith so much better than anything I can preach to you. Paul's second petition here can be a real challenge to those of us who think that we're in control, yours truly included. I've confessed to you before that I'm a control freak. It takes real Holy Spirit power to change our habits, to change our attitudes, to turn from living as our own master and letting Jesus take full-time residence and making our hearts his own. 
Then the third petition that, Peter, uh, that Paul makes here regards our stability. Our stability that, that believers are continually rooted in love and grounded in love. Now, one of the faults of the Greek churches in Paul's time is that they set too much store by knowledge. This was a huge part of their culture. Does that sound familiar? Remember that distance, that long road from our head to our heart? That's what this is. Now, please understand, Paul never disparages true knowledge. But he also never tires of insisting on the primacy of love. And in this case, he mixes metaphors to do it. Rooted in love, well, that's an agricultural reference. Grounded in love, that's an architectural reference. So let's work through this a little bit. For the roots of the crop to take hold in the soil, that's how plants flourish and then produce fruit. For a structure to be built on a solid foundation, that is how the builder ensures that the building will rest on its foundation and will rise safely. Love is the soil in which we are continually growing. Love is the foundation on which we are continually standing. Our stability is rooted and grounded in love. Understanding these three petitions in verses 16 and 17 helps the hearers of this letter to comprehend what Paul has coming next in verses 18 and 19. This next section serves as the climax of the whole prayer. This part is one of the boldest prayers ever offered in the Bible. So this time I'm gonna read from a paraphrase by a good Presbyterian, Eugene Peterson. This is not a translation from the Greek per se, but a paraphrase in our contemporary way of speaking. So hear this from the message. I ask him that you'll be able to take in with all the followers of Jesus, the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. Reach out and experience the breadth, test its length, plumb the depths, reach to the heights, live full lives, full in the fullness of God. Paul prays that we will be able to take it in, that we'll be strong enough to press through the challenge of comprehending Christ's love. To comprehend the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. The early church context for Christians to grasp the love that surpasses knowledge recalls that love is the greatest. Love is even greater than knowledge and that our hearts must make room for our savior to be permanently residing there, that we must trust him to be the master of our lives or we will have no lives at all. 
Paul knows our hearts. He knows the struggle we have with external circumstances versus internal dynamics. That audio loop that plays over and over and over in our heads that we're unworthy of love. So we pray. We pray that God makes us strong enough to press through all the obstacles, to overcome all the lies and confusion, to grasp the length, breadth, height, and depth of Christ's all-encompassing love for us. The final thing that Paul prays is that we live lives filled with all the fullness of God. My friends, the work here is God's. We do not do the filling. Paul prays that we will allow God to do the work that fills us up. Think about like that cup overflowing in the 23rd Psalm, my cup runneth over. That's the kind of fullness Paul means here. That God fills us up to full capacity in order to be what he created and intended us to be, his image bearers. And then to share that with everyone. Finally, as it is Paul's habit when he's writing these great letters, he has divisions in his letters like this at the end of chapter three. His fashion is to write a doxology. And so he does this now in verses 20. And 21, I'll share with you from the NIV as I read earlier. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. The boldness of the prayer Paul has just offered is warranted by the inconceivable greatness of God's power. Power that is actually at work in human lives in verse 20. So think big thoughts of God. Celebrate God's boundless generosity. Open up the limitations that you place on God. Tear down the walls that you build around him and expect him to be big. Nothing is too small for our great God to take notice. Nothing is impossible for our all-powerful God to handle. In verse 21, the ascription of glory is for both the church and Christ Jesus. This is for a reason. We are the body of the church. Christ is the head, complementary parts of one organism. And together, this forms the environment in which God's power shines forth. The whole doxology in verses 20 and 21 provides this splendid conclusion to the first half of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapters one, two, and three. This reminds us that we do not realize a fraction of the adventurous possibilities that God has in store to bless us. So can you see 
why this passage is my favorite. These are my favorite verses of all scripture. Let them take hold of you too. Take advantage of them and develop your prayer life. When someone asks you for prayers, no longer say, I'll pray for you. No, stop right there. Pray with them right then. Take advantage of the opportunity. When someone texts you or they email you and they're asking for prayers, write them back the words you are saying to God on their behalf. It is the sweetest gift you can share. Boldly pray to God, make your petitions known. No longer say, well, if it's your will, God, maybe you could do this. Mm -mm, No more. Approach God's throne of grace with confidence. You are his beloved child. He can raise Jesus from the dead. If he can do that, he can do anything. Ask him for it. As my daddy would always say, if you don't ask, the answer is no. Thank God in advance for the answers that he will give to your prayer and mean it. It brings him great joy that you would talk to him and he is waiting to hear from you. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, from your honorable and glorious riches, strengthen your people who can hear my voice. Fill their souls with the power of your Holy Spirit so that through faith, Jesus the Messiah will reside in their hearts. May love be the rich soil where their lives take root. May love be the bedrock where their lives are founded so that together, with all of your people. They will have the power to understand that the love of Jesus is infinitely long, wide, high, and deep, surpassing everything anyone ever previously experienced. Oh God, may your fullness flood through their entire beings. And now to the God who can do so many awe-inspiring things, immeasurable things, things greater than we can ever ask or imagine through the power at work in us, to you, God, be all the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus from this generation to the next forever and ever and ever. Amen.